0: Hello, students, and welcome to Class of X, the free internet course on how to read and enjoy the X-Men comics better. I'm your teacher and host, John Reisinger, and today I'm joined by the online activist and sweetheart of Twitch, Steven Spawn. And today we're talking about Len Wein and Dave Cockrum's X-Men reboot, Giant Size X-Men Number One: Deadly Genesis. Hi, Steve.
1: Hello, Professor Jay. <laughs>
0: How you doing today? I'm doing
1: good. I'm not too bad. I, I can say I've never been asked on to speak about specific comic uh, worlds <laughs> before by anybody. So,
0: i That's the whole point of this podcast. I just wanted to play with an experiment of... Well, I'll explain what I've explained before in previous episodes. I've read X-Men since I was seven years old, but I've never had x-men comic friends at best my brother read some of them um and later on in life i did meet a good friend of mine jim who i now keep in contact with about x-men but i never had x-men friends so i was like what if i made a podcast where i make (laughs) my friends who don't even read comics to uh talk with me about comics so far it's been a gas i had Diction on our first episode. No, I had my I had my buddy Andy on our first episode, but that was followed up by Diction, who was very fun, mm-hmm. and then after that was Lori Bird, um, and now you, um, and no one prior has had almost any X Men comic experience, which is a good uh, segue into you telling me what your X-Men and or comic experience has been. Um, you're an older bloke, so I'm wondering what the answer is going to be. Yeah,
1: uh, as a 25-year-old, um, I... <laughs> Times how many? <laughs> I, as, a, as a fresh 25-year-old, I uh, <laughs> I remember... Um, my my love for X-Men was uh, the, the, the cartoon series. The um, 90s
0: Fox I, Kids cartoon. Yeah, the
1: Fox Kids cartoon was really my my segue into the yeah. world and i think it was you know a lot of people you know, our age um you know just even which is funny because just being a streamer uh you know these subjects come up now and again while you're doing your uh jonathan freaks you know have you ever walked in the sideways thinking thinking about x-men like you know just random questions you're doing the chat and um sometimes you mention the cartoon it's amazing how people who are like 20 will be like yeah i, I totally saw that it So it's amazing how that cartoon has lived throughout the decades. I think just because of that, that accessibility to it was very good. They made it uh, where it wasn't very timely. It just kind of existed in its own little universe. You could jump into it at any point. You didn't really need to know, like, all the intricate details or the character lore or who was, you know, buddies with who or who didn't like who. It didn't matter. You kind of just got it as the characters interacted. And so I think that... Approachability to it sort of you know, made it was a little more interesting to everybody from kids to you know probably late teens or so.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny to hear you talk about it because it really is, other than some of these like uh these these comics that we've gone over in this show and let's say the movies themselves, that cartoon is probably can be like lauded as like one of the like top five or even top three reasons x-men is still like a thing to this day um because it it, like it has evolved past just it it was one of the few titles that evolved past just the comics themselves even before the movie started because like you know they tried cartoons for a lot of these comics you know spider-man and friends and there was you know uh, avengers comics and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing but i genuinely agree that the X-Men 90s cartoon was one of the most explosive things that Marvel ever made and was much higher quality than it needed to be you know which is why i think it has that timelessness to it where i I remember seeing some like interviews and uh, behind the scenes stuff with the creators and they just talked about how everybody who was working on it wanted to make it like extra good they wanted the animation to be extra good and the performances to be you know above and beyond what usually was like conscripted as like good enough for kids they were like no (laughs) let's make something that is special and they did um, and that's and that's why you know X Men. Have you ever had experience reading any comics before? Was it ever anything you did as a pastime, or has this kind of been one of your first forays?
1: No, I mean, so for those who don't know me, I have a disability called spinal muscular atrophy, which basically makes it where I'm not quadriplegic like a uh, Stephen Hawking, but I can. <laughs> barely move my muscles so i can't like lift my arms to my face or hold a uh, you know, book let alone a comic book and mm-hmm. uh so a lot of that was inaccessible for a long long time um right it wasn't until the last you know i don't know what five years or so that you know marvel unlimited became a thing and comics yeah you know, got accessible through amazon and whatnot i think it was a little bit before that probably but it was a little more niche um So the idea of reading comics was just never something that I got into because of the nature of the media. I couldn't do it, so it was very sort of off-limits to me. So I never got into that world, and and that's why, you know, uh, referencing TV shows as, like, such a great entry point because I didn't have an access to any of that earlier lore at all
0: yeah that's that's it's uh, i appreciate you bringing that up it wasn't the main reason why i did this podcast but it was later a revelation thanks to my relationship with you and you know just the the natural order of you know being exposed to you know disability culture and ableism and all those kinds of things is i realize i'm like oh there's not audiobook versions of or accessible versions of comics Uh -uh. you know you talk about how the digital versions that have been that are only like you know a decade old at this point or a little bit longer maybe are you know a a new way for people to even have access to them in more ways than even how you're describing Mm. Um, but that you know even even a podcast like this um, can be a way for people to you know, experience these comics or even, you know, g- get more of an in-depth uh, experience with them than they would have prior. Um, I don't, I, again, this wasn't the reason why I made the show, but it was something that I realized, I think I might've brought it up with you. If I mm-hmm. didn't, it was yeah. It, okay. Yeah. Where um, I, you know, I've, I've another one of the things that I've always wanted to do. Um, part of why I'm doing this podcast is I wanted to, I, I like, you know, talking into a microphone. I like that art. And I've always liked the idea of doing uh, voice work for uh, books, um, reading books, audio books, that kind of thing. And I realized, I'm like, oh, this is an extremely visual medium that is hard to get your hands on unless you have access. And um, certain people just can't experience comics the way that I have. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I do hope that there's actually more development in that field with which there is. There's actually some I looked it up and they're doing it more. They're doing these like uh, almost like readers theater radio plays of comic books now more and more. Um, So that people who might only be able to experience it through an audio format can actually, you know, hear more about my favorite characters of all time, because I love these little mutants. I think that's been very clear with with so far with this podcast and anybody who follows me on social media. um, I love them. And I, I asked you yep. what uh any sort of criteria I ask all my guests any sort of criteria of anything that they think would interest them more a character a story an era and I try to integrate that into the choice of what we're going over and you kind of gave me like a general you know splash of characters you liked and I thought with the characters that you chose and with the history so far of this podcast this was a great time to go over I think, the most important comic of X-Men history. And I'm going to tell you, Steve, why this comic is important I'm beyond listening. maybe what you've gleaned from reading it. Okay. So, I've said this before on the show, but I'll tell it to you, Steve, that in 1970, X-Men were canceled. Mm. They were not selling. They um, they weren't doing as well as other titles like Spider-Man and Hulk and Fantastic Four. And so they you know uh uh stanley and jack kirby uh who created it it was it was canceled and then for five years it was just reprints of old issues um i don't know if a lot of people know that they think of like reruns as a tv show things nope you can do it with comic (laughs) books too and so they did that for five years, um, and the, uh, some of the characters were kind of shipped off to other titles. Uh, Beast was in a title called Amazing Adventures. Some of the X-Men, like uh, Cyclops and Jean Grey, showed up in some Captain America comics. Uh, Iceman was in one called The Defenders, with people like Doctor Strange and that kind of thing. But this comic, Giant Size X-Men, was an attempt at a reboot. They, The editor-in-chief at time, uh, Roy Thomas he liked the x-men and he wanted to like do them again so he's like well what if we did a big old giant size you know return to them and we'll make it a quarterly title if it does well enough um and so he was originally he had signed this to a writer and dave Cockrum, who's an artist who is um he was originally working for DC. And in fact, the characters of base, the, the basic characters of Nightcrawler and Storm were originally created for a DC comics title called Legion of Superheroes. Oh. And so he kind of like, uh, didn't use them for that. And so when he got brought over, he kind of workshopped them a little bit, gave Nightcrawler a different backstory, took a design from another character and the powers of Storm and created Storm. And uh, Roy Roy Thomas also gave uh, he was, uh, he originally gave this to another writer, but, uh, Len, uh, ween or Len wine, uh, who was a co-creator for, um, Swamp Thing. I don't know if you've ever heard mm-hmm. of Swamp Thing, yep. the comic character. He co-created that. And then, uh, Roy wanted, uh, some more international mutants. And so he's like, add a Canadian mutant to incredible Hulk. And so, uh, incredible Hulk was actually Wolverine's first appearance. Interesting. Um, I don't know if you knew that either. I didn't Yeah, a lot of people think he showed up in X-Men first, but he was actually just like, he got his butt beat by Incredible Hulk in one issue. But Wolverine was so popular from the get-go that he was like, all right, Len, you're actually now writing Giant Size X-Men and you guys are going to create this. And so um, the assignment overall was make it international. They wanted to kind of go beyond these five little suburban white kids that were the original X-Men basically <laughs> um, and I think they succeeded as far as like that uh, call was given and in fact uh, before the comic was able to be released uh, Roy Thomas stepped down as editor-in-chief uh, Len actually became editor-in-chief um, and uh, they had a guy named Gil Kane designed the cover of giant Size X-Men fun fact Wolverine's Mask. For some reason, I don't know why, I couldn't find it. Gil decided to redesign Wolverine's Mask in the original comics. He had these cute little whiskers around his mask, because he was like supposed to be like looking like a Wolverine. And so, Gil redesigned it for the cover, and they liked it so much they actually changed all the internal artwork to uh, uh, Reflected. Um, I wonder what it was supposed so... to
1: be first. I, I like wonder what it used to
0: be. Well, it's funny. When uh, Roy assigned... This creation to uh, Len, he said, make this new character. It's going to be a Canadian mutant. He can be a Wolverine or a badger. You pick. <laughs> <laughs> and so Len looked up like in an encyclopedia and saw that Wolverines were these little small fierce creatures that like kind of punched up above their 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 weight uh, level. Oh. And he liked that idea. And so that's why Wolverine is actually, he's actually canonically five foot three, Hugh Jackman kind of um broke that yeah uh but yeah and so like his uh and in fact there was actually originally like they played around with the idea that wolverine was actually just a mutated actual wolverine animal mm. um and so yeah his mask reflected more of like a little animal looking mask it looked a little bit like the one that we have now but it had like whiskers and the the big old black kind of ears that we mm. all see it were much smaller and looked more like little animal ears um and so they released the book and it was a hit. It was a huge hit. Um but uh they decided they wanted to make it a bi-monthly comic again. And since Len was too busy being editor in chief and also writing on Incredible Hulk, he then after Giant-Size X-Men gave a couple of stories that they'd written for the next two issues over to a writer named Chris Claremont, who I've talked about a lot. And he Chris Claremont took over the title and uh, Dave Cochran wrote for about, or uh, uh, drew for another two years. And then later on, uh, an artist came, named uh, John Byrne took over. And Chris Claremont and John Byrne basically wrote and uh, drew X Men for like 30 years after that. Mm. Uh, but it was all based off of this one issue, the one issue I had you read today, the 68 big pages issue of Giant Size X Men. How easy was this to read, Steve, without any prior. Reading uh, experience with X Men.
1: Um, it's it was interesting because when your when your world of a universe is shaped by film and cartoon, right? It it's 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 interesting. You conceptually know, like you know, these are cartoon characters in a comic format, so they're you know they're they're going to be a little more. Um, Less real. It's not going to be super hot actor with a little bit of face paint. It's going to be you know <laughs> something somebody can draw, right? And so yeah, yeah. Uh, you know it, it was interesting in that I there's two things I like. Number one, I don't know if it's comic or just the presentation that Marvel does um, on their website, but uh, we were talking you know off screen about how um, you know the the user interface if you're doing it online. Right. It's not super friendly, but once you kind of get the hang of it, you, you understand what they're trying to do. Um, sure, sure. It, it was interesting because um, it it kind of gives direction. Something is something. Uh, and I'll try to make this sense out of my brain. Um, so, <laughs> something that has always been a little off putting for me, reading you know comics like comic strips in in newspapers and whatnot, is always that your your eyes tend to. Read things very specifically. You're trained, like always, read upper left to bottom right. If you're an American, right? Like that's just right. how we go. And in comics, like you, you kind of are supposed to read whatever's the biggest, the brightest, wherever your your eyes go to first. Yeah. You know, and and in the the Marvel presentation, they do a really neat job of zooming in on whatever part of the frame you're supposed to read first. So, yeah, I kind of find that really, really helpful as somebody who, like, you look at the big phase version, it's like, all right, well, there's a bunch of boxes and I have no idea what to read first. <laughs> so, you know
0: that is uh it's funny you bring that up in fact uh in the last episode when i recorded with Lori, who had never read comics before um uh, she didn't discover that guided uh mm. style that the new apps have and she actually asked she's like when you were reading these when you were younger how did you not just read ahead and <laughs> do it and i was like that was always a problem especially yeah. back in the day when you would open up a full two-page splash i'd have to like force my eye don't look to the right don't look to the right yeah. Uh, but yeah, I love the guided style with the new ones where it just kind of goes from like frame to frame and kind of goes around and, and, and it shows you even where to read. Cause even someone like me who's read comics forever, depending on the designer and the letterist and the artist who did the issue, sometimes it can be hard to be like, what am I reading next? Which is the, t- which, which blurb am I supposed to read next? Yeah. Cause they're all over the place. Um I
1: mean, you're, you're even just... In- it was interesting even just looking at the typography. It's just so different than a book in that, you know, you read a line of text in a book, and for the most part, it's just the same font style uh, no matter what is happening. But in a comic, you know, when you when a sarcasm comes up, it's, you know, italics. And when you're supposed to read yeah. something with emphasis, there is a bold. And so it, it is kind of neat that that comics get to play with the typography more yeah. than what does. Kind of give you your brain a little bit of that internal monologue, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I call out uh, letterists specifically because letterists were the people that were just there to write in the dialogue and, you know, uh, boxes with, you know, narrative direction and that kind of thing. Um, And yeah, they they definitely, especially in these issues, like this issue we read, where they try to read, they try to write for the voice. And so that you kind of get, you know, oh, they must be, they're probably yelling at this point or they're being sassy (laughs) right now. Um, And yeah, I love that for these. Um, Um, Let's get into the comic and talk (laughs) about it. Um, It's got beautiful, iconic cover by Gil Kane. This comic, this cover has been reused in its style of these like you know the big team popping out of the paper with the original team behind for decades. Everyone wants to remake this cover and for good reason. It's just a great if you want to get this you know a new comic off the 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 new stands or the uh the, the little racks that they had this I think is a great way to do it. Lots of beautiful colors of these all these new characters you can see the originals in the background but I love it. It's
1: it, it's, uh, it's um The one thing I found interesting about this, and again, I didn't know until Professor J, was, you know, you were telling me to read Giant Size X-Men, and I I had heard this terminology of Giant Size X-Men before. I always thought that Giant Size X-Men was, you know, the the name of a, a an offshoot or like one of the the subtypes because you may hear about the uncanny x-men or yeah, you know yeah. whatever I I had no idea that it was actually referenced to the size of the book and the pages rather than uh, you know an actual like offshoot so it, it took me minutes to understand that it was it was you're actually just saying read the first episode of x-men
0: yeah, essentially, in the 1975 first epi- issue. Yeah, because uh, majority of comics prior to this, they usually run... It was something like... Um, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's like 23, 24 pages. And so this one being 68 pages, it was meant to be, like I said, only a quarterly, like once every three months kind of a thing. Um, and so it was, it was supposed to be just kind of a big special that you came to once a season and got to, you know get back to the X-Men um, and but it just has now served as just like a great pilot episode essentially of the most long one of the most long-running soap operas of all time um, this comic also is one of the most coveted comics ever for like uh collectors it's right up there with like things like action comics number oh. one Superman's first appearance and stuff like that and so people spend you know millions to try to get this comic uh, I mean, because it, it really is. It's, I mean, it's, it's, um, not only is it like the return of the X-Men, but it was the first appearance of storm of Thunderbird of Colossus and of nightcrawler. Uh, the rest of them were, um, had appeared appeared in other places, but we can go over them as we introduce ourselves to them. But it starts off with the introduction of nightcrawler, which I want to give a little reason why I think this is a very poignant first start. Uh, I've said this before, uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby were Jewish men who were writing a comic that was a metaphor for the minority experience, but it was specifically a metaphor of the Jewish experience of being the minority. And that tradition hasn't changed a ton over the years. Len Wein is was also raised in a Jewish family, and I think it there is a reason why we start off in Germany with a, a mob who is treating um, a, you know, a lesser something, as a monster who just wants to be accepted um, but uh, they refuse and try to you know uh, enact you know mob justice on him uh, and I think that I, I like that there was like that symmetry that they that they were gonna be rebooting this but they still wanted to keep that tradition they were gonna go international and they went somewhere people knew Germany but uh, Nightcrawler was a new foray into how mutants look. If you had read the X-Men prior to this, you know, Cyclops, Gene, Iceman, Angel, Beast, unless they were using their powers, they could all pass as like, you know, normies, um, humans. Nightcrawler's gross. not that way. Nightcrawler was yeah, gross. <laughs> how boring. Uh, uh,
1: would want to be
0: boring. Uh, yeah, Nightcrawler was like. He can't hide. He is what he is. No matter what he is, he has blue fur. Looks like a devil. Has you know three fingers and and three toes on each you know appendage. Um, but uh, talk about just a great iconic character design to start off with. Uh, he's he is the reason why I got into X Men. And that a kid brought a Nightcrawler toy to the playground, and I was like, what is that? And how do I learn more? Uh-huh.
1: That's, and that's, so I love your, that giant size. That was yeah. True was It was a toy in a sandbox. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, the funniest thing about it was that the toy was missing his tail because for some reason my friend's mom thought he looked too much like a demon. And this is like during like, you know, satanic panic time. Gotcha. And so she made him remove the tail like that made it better. <laughs> um. So it's just one of those like core memories of like just seeing Nightcrawler with no, no, uh, you know, spade tail huh. um but nightcrawler you know he gets attacked by the mob he like he he really goes just like he's like if i'm gonna they're gonna attack me i'm gonna attack them back and he goes for a big old fight but then they get stopped by professor x and he offers nightcrawler an alternative a a, a way to find a new family which i love
1: so wild that's like in in the movies um i never Enjoyed Nightcrawler. I thought it was one of the weakest characters, film version. It was. It was. He was not interesting to me at all. I, I. could not connect, at all with what the character was supposed to be representing. And yet, um, reading the comic, here as soon as as I started reading this, I was like, this is absolutely written by somebody that understood what it is to be an outsider. Like I. I'm yeah. One hundred percent. Identified with, you know, this is some of the thoughts that have run through my brain. Some of the things that I have felt. Obviously, I have never been chasing on top of a roof because those aren't usually wheelchair accessible. But, <laughs> um, but but uh, I feel like I I might have been if only the ramps were held. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, it, yeah, it's definitely got that outsider perspective. That sort of um, there there's a line in there. Where he's, he, it, it's a little bit preachy for sure, but there's definitely some lines in there that's like, I don't understand because all I wanted to do was learn. And and there's that little bit of like, it's in between all the other heavy-handed text that particular part of the, the comic has, which is a little more in-your-face about like, I'm definitely an outsider, they're not accepting me. That line is kind of soft until you see that it's actually the line that pulls in Professor X, but... It's definitely the one that before I even saw the panel with X, I was like, yeah, that's that's actually something that I I felt. Um, other people I've spoken to in the disability community have often felt is it's it, the, the outsider part of it is very much the I don't understand why you're being mean to me when all I'm really trying to do is just be here and exist. Like, I'm really not harming anything to do with you. Why do you hate me?
0: that's very very true i think that's why so many uh you know minority groups have connected with these characters i absolutely was floored by this line because i've always loved nightcrawler and he's had such a great perspective but i like how uh you nightcrawler's like you know he uh, first is like can you help me be normal and professor x like asks him like do you ever <coughs> tonight do you want to be and i love that kurt goes perhaps not i want only to be a whole <coughs> kurt wagner and I love that he's that he like quickly just goes like, no, I don't need to fit in. I just need to be the best me. Can you help that happen? Yeah. And that is so good. Yeah, um
1: Accepting yourself and you know, that, I think that that that's sort of one of the universal appeals. At least always has been to me of the X Men universe has always been the you know uh, I just want to fit in, but also sometimes f everybody else because i'm you know yeah uh, why why should i care when you don't care about me and it's it's yeah. interesting how those you know um uh you you can get those same parallels no matter which character you're reading you sort of feel that same kind of love hate relationship with society and you know i mean that's why it, it always has uh, boggled my mind not to go on like a an aside but it's like and i've told you this in real life and we've laughed about it is you know if if i had a nickel for every time somebody's been like hey what's your favorite x-men and i don't say professor x and they're like why <laughs> it's because <well>, <laughs> because i have a wheelchair i'm supposed to say professor x and yeah. you know it's interesting to me because they all share the same similar things of society not accepting you society yeah. thinks you're odd because you're not one of everybody else and you know it's it's It goes beyond the wheelchair thing into, like, you can kind of feel disability all throughout this. And it wasn't really until my later teens, early 20s, that I started kind of looking outside my own eyes and started realizing, like, oh, wait, it's not not like they wrote this particularly for the disability community. This is also talking about Jewish and people who are in the LGBT communities. And really, Mm -hmm. anybody who is not just your standard white-bred human... And you know, mm-hmm. anybody who would not classify themselves as, you know, an every man.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it and they have had a long journey in finding, you know, a a a a whole tone to how they have, <coughs> you know, um not attacked but approached this, you know inclusivity and diversity kind of mantra you know even in this comic which is 19 from 1975 and so it has some very dated terminology you know uh later on i think it's thunderbird calls you know professor x a cripple and they call sunfire a jap and you know it, it's it's there's this is definitely written by you know men in 1975 so but Part of my love of X-Men is that it has been a long journey into bettering that voice, and even the way they've approached the disability community has had its stumbles. But they've th- there's. Disability, even in this issue, rampant throughout of a lot of these characters of, you know, you know, you talk about Professor X, you know, initially, but they introduced Storm in this issue. And Storm is someone who later on has, you know, a crippling fear of uh, uh, claustrophobia. And they've also got, uh, uh, you know, later on, I mean, they've got like Cyclops who's dealt with like vision issues uh-huh. and color blindness. And later on, they've had plenty of other people who've had like, you know, uh, amputations and like Forge is a character who he lost his leg. And Wolverine has, you know, uh, PTSD and, you know, Archangel was mutilated. You know, Angel was mutilated by someone else and has dealt with that and even like went to suicidal thoughts with that kind of a thing. They even had a character named Hellion, who was a young mutant that lost uh, both of his hands and had to learn to use his mutant powers to like kind of compensate for that um it's 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 just been a long journey but i love that 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 not only you know has diversity of like race and diversity of like gender been in these comics but Mm -hmm. they've included diversity of all walks of life including the disability community um but we go from basically someone who is shunned by his people in vinseldorf to a man who is done with what the government has done with him and decides he wants to be a free man and that's wolverine and i love this introduction of wolverine uh, or, or i like this uh this part of x-men recruiting somebody because it doesn't take Wolf- much to convince wolverine no, to ditch doesn't. the canadian government it doesn't. Um, and I, I just I Wolverine was like such was like one of the most uh, fleshed out characters in this comic, and even in this comic, he's the one of the most fleshed out. Uh, but I love that he kind of just like flips the bird to the Canadian oh government sure. um, and goes with you know Professor X. Uh, even though the Department H who he works for is like we'll come back for you, and they do like not too long later in the comics, they try to send somebody to steal him back uh but wolverine has a a, a, he has his short little introduction banshee has an even shorter one he actually was uh steven i'll tell you he was actually introduced in the x-men comics as a villain um he but he was a blackmailed villain like uh, someone had uh, a bad mutant group had captured him strapped a bomb to his chest and made him do a bunch of like bank robberies Mm. and so then he was saved by the x-men so that's why in this comic like Professor X just kind of, you know, gives him another chance of being a part of something bigger, and that's why it doesn't take very long. Uh, he gets sense. Hey, you want to come in? Yeah, I'm in. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a fun little like thing here where, like, you, you know, because they he, Professor X meets him in a uh, Opry House in Tennessee, or the Grand, the Grand Ole Opry mm-hmm. House in Tennessee, and. But then the next panel, they're like, shortly, in the in the Banshee's shabby quarters, and it's just like, oh, okay, so he was poor. And so he's like, oh, I can go to this mansion <clears throat> with you and, like, live with you and do that. It's like, yeah, I'm coming. Oh, man. Um, give me a paycheck. But then we get uh, one of the more lengthy introductions, which is Storm. And, you know, dated references aside, you know, the fact that this is clearly from an era where, you know, white uh, Americans were probably fascinated with this kind of tribal culture from africa Mm -hmm. um this is from an era where they had a lot of that inclusion in movies at the time that feels you know less than accurate and uh helpful in in 2022 but i i still do love this uh this the way that they decided to recruit storm because she is one of them that was like she's literally revered as a goddess by people and so how do you, like, convince someone who is revered as a goddess and is doing, you know, incalculable good for her people? She's providing rain to people who pray to her and that kind of thing. And I, you know, th- there's there's subtext here, and I know that Storm later on has a lot more background information on why she probably wanted to leave this fantasy world and, like, kind of go into a world of reality. Um, but I think it, it just adds a, a diverse array of people with different uh, motives on why they wanted to join Xavier. How did you um, read this part with Storm?
1: You know, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, it was, well, the first thing I, is that they have the Bayonetta-style style hair, the strategic placement is interesting. Um,
0: oh, a lot of strategic hair and shadows. It, yes,
1: yeah. Um, uh, definitely the first time I even thought about um, They would do that kind of drawing. Uh, I was intrigued by their extrapolation of how a mutant with goddess-like powers would present themselves. Um, Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. Um, You could see in that, you know, if you were in that kind of land where living off the rain and getting farming would be something that would be a superpower. You know, it's it's um, like that old. Uh, slightly ableist saying of in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Like, it's, sure. you know, it's, it's got that that same flavor of the it's, it's slightly offensive, and it's but also, like, it kind of makes sense, like, in the context, they didn't deliver well, but it, for the time, you could see where they were trying to go, and if so, for me it read like a uh, you can almost feel like Xavier's idealism coming through to her like you yeah. know. listen you know i know that your world you've created here is amazing but also you know that it's all kind of surface level you, you yes. know that you are need to be out there in the world and so it when i was reading it I, it took me a minute to sort of get why he came like right out with it and said you know essentially you're, you're not living in a real world Because it was like Mm -hmm. you're just meeting her for the first time and you're like straight up calling out that she's living in a fantasy land. That's kind of weird and and aggressive. Um, But then you realize like he's actually saying like, you know that this is all artificially created and that you're better than this. So it was once I kind of like read that a couple of times, I realized that he wasn't talking down to her. He was saying that you're smarter than this and you know that you could do more. You're choosing not to stop choosing not to.
0: Yeah, she's kind of the beginning of several of his recruitments following that where he's mostly challenging these characters to, you know, kind of reach for the greater good instead of just, you know, the benefits that they are giving to just their immediate, you know, vicinity, the world that they're living in in the moment. And it, it works with Storm. It works with when he goes to Japan and talks to Sunfire, who... Is his own problematic kind of a character. He is a symbol of you know Japanese colonialism. His costume is literally the the colonial like rising sun flag. Um, he's a product of a lot of Japanese stereotypes. Um, he's also like the biggest jerk <laughs> in this <laughs> entire comic. Um, I he, I it's the, the 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 path that Sunfire has taken over. We got fifty years now. Um, he, he, I can say at least to the listeners that in modern comics now with the most recent reboot with Jonathan Hickman, they kind of finally figured out what to do with Sunfire and it's much better than it was, um, for years. Sunfire is a very short introduction. We get a longer one of Colossus, uh, who I love. I've always loved this guy. Such an iconic look. I love that. He's the gentle giant. I love that. He's a painter and an artist, um, I love that he, you know, just loves his little sister, and that's how he. This, you know, this recruitment goes where he has to save her by destroying his poor neighbor's <laughs> tractor. Um, and uh, in fact, a uh, fun little fact: the, his little sister, who he saves, is Iliana, and she later becomes a mutant herself and joins the X Men. She's the X Men named Magic. She was most recently oh. in uh, one of the films, uh, New Mutants played by Anya Taylor joy
1: Did not see the is that the one that was a horror movie that yes gotcha. <laughs> skip that entirely because I am a giant baby and don't like scary things uh <laughs>
0: it it's not one of the better ones so you're fine fixing hmm. it. uh skipping it
1: I yeah, good yeah I I love the character though it's um you know what's really interesting to me about reading this is um when we talked about this uh before uh getting into you know, what were we going to talk about, and what you wanted to know, like what would I like to read, and um, I had mentioned Colossus is one of my like yeah. primary, like you know this is this is an interesting character. The funny part is, um, I don't really remember Colossus from the cartoon series at all. Um, yeah like completely either wasn't there or my brain. It's because he wasn't out. yeah.
0: He wasn't one of the original characters. Gotcha.
1: And that would explain. Yeah, I don't I don't remember him at all. And it really wasn't until um, you know, the original like, you know, uh, Jackman film series that I was introduced yeah. to the character. And it, it's he's he's such a secondary character, but um when they they have a scene in, in the movie where essentially the you know the the uh, Academy is falling apart and it's under attack and you know yeah. and, and Wolverine is saving a few people and like Colossus just goes pure steel and is like, We are going to fight. And uh Wolverine's like, No, you're going to protect these kids because they can't protect themselves. And he immediately yeah. goes out of battle mode to goes, Nothing will happen to them. Like it it that kind of turn on a dime from attack mode to defense speaks to my personal values like so hardcore i was like and i love you like it's like it's, <laughs> that's that's it but you know i went and learned everything i could about the character because so i was like this is just that is just every value that i want and and you know even with wolverine that my favorite wolverine scenes are not when he's attacking but when he's defending there's something about that using power to defend those who cannot is just such an attractive value that i love it the most
0: yeah, yeah, I fully agree with that. that, and that's definitely a theme that's used throughout the X Men. While they are an offensive, you know, unit, uh, you know, as far as you know, uh, attack and 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 problem solving, they are they are, deep down they're just trying to defend and take care of each uh-huh. other. Um, because they uh, uh, that and that really connects with the the you know being part of the the other being part of the lesser um I, i also love that they clearly like 1975 would be that's that's Cold War era. Mm-hmm. And so grabbing this little Rusky from a farm in Russia and even calling out like, you know, Professor X challenges him to use his abilities for the greater good. And he's like, well, then that should be Mother Russia's, you know, because, you know, of communism and socialism and that kind of thing. But even his parents are like, you know, we, you don't, don't stay here for us, do what you need to do, do what your heart mm-hmm. says. And he decides, you know, to buy into that, you know, I, I should not just give my gifts to Russia, but to the world. And this was them challenging even people's stereotypes of, you know, the Russian people and Colossus, you know, along with plenty of these other people, like, you know, including a black woman like Storm and including a Japanese man. Uh, this this is, you know, they're gathering these people who have, you know, sordid histories and, and reputations with the American people, which leads right into uh, a, a very unique character, Thunderbird, who is, you know, part of the Apache nation. And, uh you know, he is not the best depiction. I, I cannot uh, the-
1: figure this one out at all. How did they not realize this was racist? I do not like what.
0: What, what, he, he, yeah. I mean, we've got loads of years to go from 1975 yeah. before we do better to you know the Native American people. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I choose to see the good here um, in where I can find it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm just trying to find the silver lining. I'm not trying to excuse things, but mm. I appreciate that in this challenge of finding an international team and adding diversity that they did not fully skip over, you know, the indigenous people of, you know, America, because they could have easily done it because they're like, we've got Americans, we got them. And instead they're like, no, we should get, we need to include the original people um and uh while you know his costume and his powers have their own you know negative stereotypes attached to them, along with plenty of the other costumes uh i i appreciate that they included him and i also appreciate that while he is a Like a brash character and and a bit argumentative and rude. He's not the only one that this. The whole thing is a soap opera, and everyone has they 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 know that conflict breeds excitement and intrigue. Um, it would have been the worst if he had just been the only you know jerk on the team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so luckily he wasn't. Uh, and he was the first of. You know, several more you know additions to the X Men roster from you know uh, Native American tribes, and so I choose to see him as the door that opened up for other characters to be added. Many of which have been less problematic, much better handled, and are some of my favorites. People like you know Forge and even his brother Warpath and uh, uh, Moon uh, Moonstar and. Uh, lots of others And so you know Thunderbird He's introduced as kind of this Upset I, I, I think at least Though it makes sense that he's this upset Because the writers know like This is a man that comes from a people that Have been wholeheartedly Just ruined By you know white People mm-hmm. and colonization So while he is a bit Of a, a jerk to Professor X It comes from a understandable place um and it's not just him being like a mean guy he's they write in that he's upset because of you know the tainted history that his people have had to live through and continue to live through um but thunderbirds the final one they add and now we're we get into chapter two of four of this comic and we get to see them all in their gorgeous new costumes um, yeah, which like, I, 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 I
1: appreciated the explanation as well. Like that was I was I was pleasantly surprised to see them immediately off the cuff explain superhero costumes, something that no <laughs> TV show movie film has ever tried to even, I know. They, they, don't, they don't even mention a tailor. Like, you know, you get more out of Kingsman than you do out of X-Men or any of the other MCUs as to how clothing works. And right in this comic, right off the bat, they're like, yep, here's the explanation. You can't say anything about it. And they're like, all right, well, you win, I guess.
0: Yeah, it was a great thing that they introduced in Fantastic Four. They mentioned Reed Richards. He developed these unstable molecules, which is such a fun just name to give this technology um because it was it was you could just you know as long as you write in a reason you can have a way why these characters like the human torch are able to combust into flame and then still have clothes because you can't just have a naked dude every time he turns off his powers and invisible woman can't just walk around with like you know floating clothes yeah Yeah, as much as does
1: doesn't work
0: yeah yeah thankfully they don't do that so like same you know like uh Colossus has to be able to like expand and turn into his you know metal form. Sunfire mm-hmm. has to be able to use his fire powers. Um, you know, Nightcrawler has to be able to you know uh, use his appendages as he would. Although Nightcrawler is like the only one that uh, he had. Oh, because that's why his costume's from his carnival days. That's why he had his costume. Yeah, although um, he was a.
1: I don't. Maybe you can explain, Professor Jay. Like how how does that work with so, uh, Knight, Does Nightcaller have His teleportation powers in these Early episodes or does he learn that later
0: Yes uh it's It's so briefly Shown in this comic uh, I saw in him jump the... down from the roof But I did see teleportation He in um in later On in I think chapter 3 when they finally get To Krakoa mm. him and Sunfire Are fighting the birds and he does teleport To mm. deal with the birds That's, That's about it though Okay. Um and yeah, and so a lot of these characters, their their powers were somewhat still being uh, figured out. Uh, in the last episode, we pointed out that it wasn't until years later that they even mentioned that Wolverine has a healing factor, mm. which is now such a, a staple of his character. Yeah. And even then, his healing factor was like, oh, he just he can heal a little bit faster than people but he still can be murdered whereas now it's like Wolverine is unmurderable that man can <laughs> has has literally been burnt to asunder and has like just been a a scorching uh adamantium skeleton and then in like minutes he grows himself back yeah um so they've they you know they 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 develop and change these characters as they've grown um and so As far as the story goes, you know, uh, Professor X, you know, kind of reveals there's an ulterior motive why he recruited them, which is actually going to be a Professor X thing for years to come where it's like, hey, maybe this guy is like a little manipulative and uh, maybe he shouldn't be making these child armies to, uh, (laughs) you know, fight for him. Because uh, while a lot of these characters in this comic are a little bit older, you know, Sunfire is oh. very much an older Japanese man and uh, Banshee, you know, an older Irishman and that kind of thing. Like the original X-Men are kids. And even he made his team of the New Mutants, which are also kids. Um, and so, yeah, Professor X, he has a bit of a villain arc. Um,
1: I mean, he is kind of, but it's also like. I'm going off of um, off of lore here because I don't know the parallel in the X Men universe, which I guess I need to listen to the podcast to figure that out. Is is <laughs> I I I really have always respected of the Professor X character is he is the Gray Jedi, and that's and that's and that's very much what I refer to myself. And I've heard many many of disabled, particularly people who are profoundly physically disabled, refer to themselves in the same way. Is you have to learn to pick up. Uh, facial expressions, microaggressions, you have to pick up uh, people's vibes and attitudes very quickly, adapt your language to to get them to come to where you need them to be because you don't have, you know, I can't tap you on the shoulder or lend a hand over to get you to calm down. I have to use my words, right? So you learn and your disability teaches you how to do this and sometimes it does come off as manipulative because you do learn how to speak to people and unfortunately we have kind of equated learning how to communicate as manipulative which is kind of you know sad but also at the same time like the the x-men have always done really well at being like yeah he, he's an intelligent dude and he does manipulate when he has to he always does it for the right reasons but he does yes i uh he's
0: they've they've different writers have written different degrees of him having screw up some being quite large some being smaller but at the core his character is he is the the guy who's trying to work with both sides of the aisle he has always preached for coexistence of mutants and just wanting to be on equal ground with the homo sapiens Mm -hmm. Um, a, a, in contrast to a lot of more extremists, like someone like you know how Magneto was written early on, or even more nefarious characters like Mister Sinister or Apocalypse or that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he is the dreamer. That's how they've always written him. He is, you know, the one who preaches even peace. You know, to to the X Men were created to try to, uh, become a symbol alongside these other superheroes. That mutants aren't to be feared and hated. They can be as useful as Captain America and Iron Man. Um, but part of their story is that they never uh, are fully uh, accepted because they are the odd ones. They are born this way, they are born different as opposed to a lot of these other superheroes that, you know, find. Their powers or their superhero, you know, nature elsewhere.
1: It's, I think, I think that's what made um, the boys uh, as a uh, talk about not family friendly. Uh, don't ever go watch that if you're not family friendly. Uh, but <laughs> uh, the, you know where they went the opposite way, where they speculate in a world where people who are different, uh, in that kind of superhero way, would be celebrated as gods and, and yeah, feared, you know.
0: Well, the boys is also an interesting take on the origins of superheroes where it's fabricated, which they sort of touch on in this comic because when they finally were introduced Krakoa and it's the living Island, they have a little brief uh, explanation as to how it became the mutant island, the living island and they talk about how it was the it suffered from nuclear testing mm. which, was actually the original origin story of how mutants, the X-Men, had come around, that they were a result of, you know, testing. Yeah, which was retconned later, that they've later become, you know, they were the genetic... Uh, next step in human evolution, but so many of these original characters were their origins were based on like a parent worked with nuclear facilities or when they were born they were close to a testing site and so that was, I I, I, I appreciate that they retconned it so that it was something that they were born with because it really does cement this, they don't have a choice yeah, I mean, they don't have a this choice. was
1: yeah, but um, but also I was going to say, like, I find I find it to be almost good for the writer and for the audience. And, you know, you, you always need a character that doesn't understand the world to explain it to the audience because you, while well, you're explaining it to the character, you're also explaining it to the audience. Right. And that's that's a writer trick. And by having them in this academy and quote unquote learning their powers. It gives yeah. the, the writer the excuse to just play around and see what sticks and what works and what doesn't can kind of be left on the wayside. and But it also, to me, at the same time, has that dual purpose and interesting thing. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've always thought, like, it's kind of peculiar that Superman falls out of the sky as raised by humans and then just knows how to be a superhero. Like, he just, he just knows. And, like, you know, no one taught him to fly. No one taught him to do anything. And, like, I learned very little in this life by somebody not showing me so you know it, it to me it always is interesting like there's obvious ones like if you, you get hit by a bullet then that's easy to figure out you're pretty much indestructible <laughs> but it's like how do you learn that if you get angry you're you can focus your laser beams in a certain direction or do trick sure. shots you know and so i find that idea of like a place where people can train interesting in that and i kind of surprised Nowhere else has really copied that, to my knowledge. Like, the the, the that kind of Strange Academy and the X Academy are it. That, that's the only training grounds, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, the X-Men origin of being a place where these mutants would learn to control and use their powers is definitely not the norm in the majority, if all other superheroes at the time... They were often, you know, lone wolves or were independent people that did things on their own at the the closest ones might be like the Fantastic Four that, you know, were later on turned into the Fantastic Four and had to learn together how to best use their powers, Mm. but... The, you know the this this story of where you know a lot of these mutants are children that puberty is when they go through changes or if there's someone like nightcrawler and they're born looking and and performing differently than everyone else that they have to band together in order to survive and 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 develop themselves yeah i agree that's it's it's such a i mean people even connect with it. like that's why it's in harry potter people love the idea of being special and being called upon to be you know special and different and being called upon to join all others who are different in a safe and nurturing environment. Now, Harry Potter school is not necessarily a safe environment, and same for X Men, Xavier's Academy. But the the feelings there of wanting to be absconded away to some place where you actually belong.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, something where you can learn to be about who you are, and it's not it's not something that I mean not to end up like these comics being a little preachy myself, but it, it's if you are a minority. It, it, Society is not particularly great at teaching you how to utilize your differences as strengths. You kind of yeah, really got to... or fix- deal with them. No, there's no management, no mitigation. They're just like, all right, figure it out. And then, you know, most everybody does, but everybody has a different level of struggle that, you know, man, it would be cool if there was some sort of teaching place for people to learn, like, hey, this is what society is going to expect of you, and uh, here's what you actually can do.
0: You just need an independently wealthy bald man in a wheelchair who says, come live in my <coughs> mansion in Westchester, New York. That's all you need.
1: Hey, well, I've been to New York one time. I've got a full head of hair, but I have a razor. Uh, I do have the wheelchair and I got like $4. <laughs> so. <laughs> all So,
0: right, let's get started. <laughs> I'm going to skip ahead a bit since we've been talking through this. The X-Men were, you know, the story is the X-Men were called to an island because of a big mutant signature via Cerebro. And uh, Cyclops is the only one who gets off the island. He has no powers and is confused on a plane heading back to New York finds professor x i didn't realize this until rereading it that this is a fun little they even call out like his powers come back stronger than ever and now he has a cool new visor and that's why his visor looks this way for a while whereas if you look in the issues before it was a different design i love that calling out new design upgrades and updates that's so fun but he reveals that they need to go find the x-men sunfire is a jerk again and immediately was like in the like pages before they get their new costumes. He immediately is like, Why'd you bring us here? Psychops comes out and tells them, His is why this is why we brought you here. And Sunfire goes, I'm out. <laughs> He's just a punk. He is. Uh and but the rest of the X-Men get into the fancy stratojet and head off, but then Sunfire immediately goes, JK, I'm coming mm-hmm. with you guys. But I'm gonna be a tool the entire way um and so they head off we get into chapter three they split into their four groups which uh, they get to show off their powers by doing their own little fights together colossus with storm wolverine with banshee sunfire with nightcrawler and thunderbird with cyclops i love that because colossus is this like um, sweet, simple, uh, young farmhand boy, and when they're all leaving, he's like, "I'm out," and he storms like, "What are you doing?" Because she doesn't know what he can do at this point, and she catches him. And I love that his phrasing where she's like, "You fool, you cannot fly." He's like, "Of course not, but I can land with the best of." Them. <laughs> hey, he knows, I did like he that knows who he is. Yeah, I
1: like that.
0: So they all head off. Thunderbirds again a, st- a bad stereotype has some bad lines here uh, but uh we'll just uh pass by those for the moment they lose the jet and that's when the mystery starts happening of like where'd the jet go and then why do these plants you know start fighting them and they find their way to this temple that they're all gonna find their way to uh storm and I love also this line where storm and Colossus are there. And Colossus is looking at storm and she's talking to him. And he says like, whatever you say, Aurora, you are so unlike the girls in my, and he's going to say like his, his country. And I'm like, yeah, storm would be very different in many ways to the women that this Literally Russian farm boy, way. every yeah. single
1: way. Yeah.
0: He, and I, I just like that where he was just like, what? He's like, you're cool. I like you, you know, he, he's, he uh he's not like turned off or 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 does you know has weird you know reaction to storm he's just to like whatever you say you're cool um because yeah storm is cool she's awesome uh she even has a, just a fantastic costume with capes and 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 a cool little headdress and all that but anyways they fight some rocks um and head off to meet up with Cyclops and then we get to Wolverine and Banshee have their little fight with some giant crabs. It's great. It's very like uh Dark Souls or Elden Ring kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They do their little fight, just show off their powers. This is just them showing off their powers often in the comics. In fact, in previous episodes of this podcast, we notice it where they open up a lot of like moments in the comics or even the beginning of comics where they're in the danger room. It's just a way to show off their powers. And you talked about it where they, they, they're, the X-Men are learning from each other what their powers are and we as the audience are learning, oh, okay, this is what they all do. Banshee has you know Sonic screams and Wolverine's got these claws that can cut through giant crabs. And then again, in the next page this is where uh nightcrawler does maybe one of his only moments of teleportation in the comic because he teleports around these birds this is prior to the uh iconic bamf that has always preceded his power um but sunfire's a jerk again here he's like mean to nightcrawler he's like calls him a misfit and a beast and all that uh just not really a good introduction to this character.
1: Uh, and he also makes Nightcrawler question whether or not he made the right choice of joining. Which I yeah, I, I really I literally love the subtext there. of Again, the speaking as the minority. I think you know most of us in minority. Um, tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but I think all of us have been like, "Wow, is my own group just as mean and just as <laughs> just as you know not fun as the people that are on the outside? I'm getting away from." And so it's that like you, you got to remember that you know the people on on your group can be just as much mean people as anyone else
0: yeah it's it's definitely an important part of inclusive writing where if you're doing inclusive writing correctly you are you are writing so much inclusivity that you allow for there to be bad people in the minority groups and it's not just some sort of stereotype of these minority groups are always the bad person there there should be you know gay villains and there you know there should be disabled villains uh because i think there should be so much diversity in art and in you know these these narrative mediums where you include that so that yep. you have the good the bad and the ugly of all of these these groups and so yeah this is a good instance mm-hmm. of maybe a bit heavy-handed and, and probably not the best thing that the uh you know, colonial Japanese man is the the real jerk well, who's a bit. Yeah, yeah. But you know, someone's got to be, it and they have sunfires it. But well, he 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 gets redeemed a little bit later. So that
1: was kind of going to be my question. And again, jumping ahead and aside, but um, as somebody who doesn't read comics, uh, comics are known for being heavy handed, right? That's kind of how they get across messages in short little. Yeah, especially at this era. Yeah, um, but have they has that changed? Is it still just as heavy handed now?
0: no that's what's been so great about the evolution of comics in my opinion is that there is always a bit of a melodramatic element to these because you are you're this is the written word and and it's all about you know splashy big visuals Mm -hmm. but they've depend it's always depending upon the writer and that's part of the beauty of how comics are now is that there are so many comics and that but that makes room for so many different voices and even right now the x office that is in charge of gosh like almost not a dozen but probably like 10 titles right now is that that allows for so many different people to be working together uh, on this same unified vision of these characters the x-men but spread out through a lot of different uh, titles like x-men and new mutants and x-force and all of that and comics are just like any other medium where it depends on who's got the reins at the time you know we've got different kinds of movies franchises that are like that as well including the x-men franchise and movies they've been directed by uh, half a dozen people at this point yeah. james bond's another example of so many different directors you know creating the same character Mission Impossible, uh, all these things where there are franchises that are, the reins are handed over. There's different eras where it's like, oh, we didn't like who was writing them at that time. But you can kind of pick and choose. And that's kind of where I want to do with this podcast is show people like some of the the high highlights, the high points. And I thought Len Wein and Dave Cockrum did a pretty good job with Giant Size X-Men. And they handed off to Chris Claremont, who in my opinion did one of the most solid golden era runs of X-Men for almost 30 years. Um, and he, he actually just launched from what they were already doing here with this attempt at diversity and internationalism and took that even further and really continued to diversify the team with backgrounds and gender and sexual orientations and all of that. And so it's, it, the melodrama and and like the, the way this is written, you know, nineteen seventy five has has changed and modernized, uh, for I think good reasons. And anyways, and who, wait, what?
1: Who, then, who is Alex?
0: Who is Alex? Alex is Cyclops's brother.
1: Why 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 is that such a weird curveball to me? That, that's what I that's what I got out of the text of the brother or no? She does. Dot dot dot. So I'm guessing in this world he is in love with gene gray but in in later uh, the comic slash movie lore like he just doesn't have a brother
0: it's they've they haven't been so organized in the movies in establishing consistent origins and Mm. familiar relations with these characters because they've they've you know it's again it's been not made with a cohesive vision or a narrative attempt, as opposed to what we feel now with like the MCU, right. which is all supposed to fit together. You know, the original X-Men films were three films and then they decided to go back in time with a little bit of a prequel retcon with x-men first class then they tried to make that all make sense with x-men days of future past which sort of uh solidified it all together but then they went sort of back again with x-men apocalypse which didn't quite make full sense as far as a canonical narrative it, it's been a, a bit mixed up yeah. and yes, but in this comic it's Cyclops is is, you know, he's with Gene Gray and Havoc, who is his brother, is with Polaris. And they Yeah, so this is what point in the comics where they're working together in the same team. They weren't always on the same mm. team. In fact, he didn't always have a brother in the comics. But yes, that's where they are right now. They are in fact, they later on tease like in the nineties, a third Summers brother and eventually um answered that question with in fact a retcon of this comic we're reading this is x-men giant size x-men uh, uh second genesis they did a retcon in like the aughts that was called uh, uh, deadly genesis that was a bit of a retcon of this story we won't get into that right now because it muddies up this whole thing okay but they added a third summer's brother so there's actually three of them anyways Moving on with the story, they find the X-Men that were captured in the temple and this is when we're introduced to the real villain, which is the living island, the mutant island Krakoa, who was a result of, again, the nuclear testing, feeds upon mutants, uh, seemingly lets Cyclops leave to go find more food and he brought it back and so now the X-Men have to fight the biggest mutant ever and... While in this comic Krakoa does talk to them, I'll point out since we did go over House of X powers of ten in the first episode of this podcast, that covers the reboot now where they're all the mutants are now in this modern day living on Krakoa, the mutant island, in harmony with it. Uh in this comic, Krakoa talks, it's mean. Later on, it's decided that was actually Prefer- Professor X making them think it was talking. I won't get into the reasons why. Don't worry about it. But for the moment, right now, giant size X-Men. It's the villain they're fighting. They're all fighting it and trying to defeat it. They can't do anything about it. There, you know, they, it results in Professor X having to make a second assault on it from a psychic level, which then gives them the opportunity to do something that I think is really cool. They did in 1975, which is a mutant circuit. Which is this idea of mutants working together to achieve a result that's different from their powers apart. And that's Storm, using her electricity uh, to supercharge Polaris, who has magnetic powers like Magneto, uh, later on retconned as his daughter, actually. And powers her up and this is where you see that fight where you know cyclops and havoc are you know havoc's like stop it you're gonna kill her and cyclops likes, this is the only way that we get off this island and <laughs> they is such a fun result of like how do we get rid of how do we defeat this island send it to space <laughs> they they break its literal you know anchoring to earth and and send Krakoa to space. As you do. Poor Krakoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. I'll tell you guys. Krakoa finds its way back. That's why we have it as an island now. Uh, that they all live on. It. Ha- it. Ha- it actually got picked up by um the stranger who is this other celestial character who was like I like, was it the stranger or the collector it might have been the collector, and they they had it on display. But it found its way back to Earth later on. Don't worry about it. But. The X-Men are, you know, dealing with the fact that they got rid of the island, but now there's like a, you know, there's a hole. And now the water is sucking them in, and they aren't quite, you know, off this this ship. And uh, Iceman makes a fun little bubble. I love that. He just kind of protects them with his little ice powers. So cute. And what were you
1: saying? I'm uh, laughing at the the cute powers. Iceman, Iceman <laughs> has to be the most... I swear, in any version of Iceman I've ever read, he is the most utility, useless character until the moment where they <laughs> need someone to have a way to get out of it, then they're like, oh, Iceman will do it.
0: Yeah, he'll make a wall to stop this <laughs> this, this, this this tidal wave from getting us, or, or even in X-Men 2, he'll make a wall to stop William Stryker from uh, fighting Wolverine. Yes, he's not been, he's also one of my favorite characters, and also one of the one of the canonically gay <laughs> characters later on. And is, uh, is his relationship with
1: Havoc here equal to what they did with him in Pyro, where they're supposed to be the yin and the yang.
0: Oh yeah. They, they kind of give that in there where, uh, after Polaris is, you know, uh, spent from her little thing that she does sending Krakow to space and Havoc and Iceman have that little tit for tat. Yeah uh it's because prior to this comic they had kind of fought over her uh, a little bit uh, and it, and it 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 kind of develops a little bit later on but then it it's you know as he becomes canonically gay it was it kind of revealed as like just him kind uh trying to come across as straight you know uh, uh but yes the uh bobby iceman and lorna uh polaris did date at a certain point huh. and so yeah there's a little bit of some drama there gotcha. uh that's part of the x-men sometimes where they've uh, a lot of them have dated each other at some point or the other or had relations and so it creates like nice little bit of drama um they've mostly changed that now that the x-men are all living on this island in uh, krakoa and they're all basically polyamorous bisexuals almost all of them now huh. at this point which is great that's the future i want
1: future <laughs> but they want.
0: That is it is. That's the gay agenda. Uh spoiler. So uh-huh. they managed to save themselves. Uh <laughs> I love that the X-Jet conveniently survives uh even though it was like consumed by the island what? and the island was sent to space. Like we needed the jet to still be here so the X men aren't just stranded out in the ocean in the Pacific Ocean. And oh, well, look, I love fine. this little Oh look, my jet. Um <laughs> I love this line at the very end where they didn't know they were going to turn this into a bi-monthly comic that would then or later become a monthly mm. comic. That was the most popular comic of Marvel times. But I love that they end with this line of, what are we going to do with 13 X-Men? It's such a tease, such a good little tease. It's,
1: it's, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that they at least saw that, yes, it, it, this has the potential to be fun. Um, you know, um, I think. I think also, even back then, they were very good. I mean just ending with uh you know find out next when Dr. Joseph yeah, yeah, yeah. comes, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's Giant Size X-Men number one. You have now read an important part of comic book history. Steve, how do you feel?
1: Um, it's it's pretty much everything that I thought reading a comic from the seventies would be. It's got it's definitely has those. You you can feel some racism. I didn't feel any like any kind of ableism or homophobia at least i felt some racism um as the dark sides of it and then but everything else it was pretty much everything that i've ever been told that x-men was supposed to be that it was supposed to be standing up for jewish people and for people who are in lgbt communities and even trying to include disabilities and so mm-hmm. it was it was interesting um it didn't feel like they really had the shoehorn very hard to get in those kind of things a little heavy-handed Sometimes, but uh, I'm, you know, overall, I'm glad to get to see where this beginning came from, Um, and interesting, like, that I'm coming at it from an angle where I'm so deep into the lore of the, you know, 50 years ahead of time to see where it came from
0: yeah i it's part of the reason i mean other than the fact that this is such like a good historical one to make an episode for the show around and i've talked about this issue several times so far so it just made sense but to to speak to that theme of inclusivity this is i mean honestly the real launching point of that being cemented beyond just the white jewish experience Which is still an important experience, but they opened this up by making an international thing where they added, you know, uh, albeit only one more woman, but they added, you know, another woman to the team and they added plenty of different, you know, races and international backgrounds and, you know, people's motivations and, and even their upbringings. And this is that launching point that then was what so many other people have built upon. It's why we have what it's, you know, it's why we have so many queer X-Men characters. Now it's why we have so many, uh, black X-Men characters. Storm was the first one. Someone had to be the first one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's, and so someone had to include that. And the fact that it's not just like, not that it would have been lesser or bad if it had just been in a, whatever issue later on because plenty of other characters are that they 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 are just introduced in special issues but this is the number one other than x-men number one this is the number one x-men comic and the fact that they started all that off with this comic i think is powerful and and fun and I, i i want people to experience that so i'm glad we did this episode on it and i'm glad i'm glad it sounds like you enjoyed it no it was
1: it was good i'm glad uh, to finally get to beat it and uh john is a great marvel salesman because now i'll probably end up just keeping my unlimited <laughs> uh you should, you should get an affiliate link um so, so, i should. should should um yeah i mean uh i like that it was digestible something we skipped over there that i i, I meant to mention was um again the 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 lead experience of reading the comic book, there's a part and for those of you listening, if you, if you choose to go read this on uh, Marvel's Unlimited uh, app uh, right when they do the charging of the electricity, it literally goes from a uh, nighttime black outlined screen, and when it shows the lightning, they flip it to bright white so if you're looking yeah, at it on your fun. screen it really makes it look like there's a lightning cracking, which is kind of neat
0: that's a good user experience choice, yeah, us, then. It really is. Uh, in fact, uh, I have to. I'll give you a little bit of John lore. The first time I read this comic was not in comic book form, and it was not on an app like this, but it was digitally. Uh, they released these CDs of some of the X Men comics that back in the day when pcs were becoming much more available to people and cd roms were in people's home computers for the first time and so i i read through a guided version of this comic that had narration and sound effects and some music and even they because it came out after the x-men cartoon they would sometimes cut to scenes from the cartoon that were based from some of these origin stories like there is a part of the x-men cartoon that covers nightcrawler's origin story and they show off you know the mob getting him and that kind of thing and him in the circus and same with colossus they show him saving iliana from the tractor and so it would cut to like the cartoon clips and then go back to the comic and so i read this on a computer first and foremost so my my experience was digital and guided as well uh but didn't lessen the experience at all and i think that anyway anything you can do to make these comics more accessible to people i'm all for because i adore them clearly
1: yeah sharing them with more wider audiences getting people involved um it's, it's not something like i guess told you in the beginning not something i ever was really exposed to and so i was a uh, Excited to have an excuse to because I mean, and again, I'm, I'm saying this for anybody out there who's been in my shoes. I have looked at Marvel Unlimited. In fact, I had an account, I forgot I had already had an account over there. I've looked at this like three or four times, and I'm always like, I should do this. And then you get overwhelmed by the amount yeah. of comics that are there, and you don't have a dive in and. Something like this gives you like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to read this then. And as soon as you're done reading it, they're like, how about this one? And you're like, oh, dear. so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like um, I'm going to eventually have to get you back on the show again for another uh, jump on point. Let's do it. To to entice you with some more of these characters. Now that, now that you've got a pretty good, like base level, you've read giant size X-Men, you know, these characters now from their origins. Like we can, we could go and jump into some, some beefy stuff. So we're gonna have to do that with you. But, um, that's all I have for the comic. And I appreciate you coming and hanging out with me for this was a delight. I always, any excuse I have to hang out with you (laughs) and, and talk with you and make content with you is a, is a good excuse. Um, and with that in mind where can people uh find an excuse to check you out further i know you stream on twitch i know that's a place that you want people to find you um twitch.tv slash uh, steve in spawn s-t-e-v-e-i-n-s-p-a-w-n a a play on words but uh where else would you like to them to to follow you i'm
1: very clever like that um it, it, it took me till 30 until someone pointed out that you can make that pun with my name. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere on social media, <clears throat> um, Twitter, until it burns down, uh, slash Spawn, spelled S-P-O-H-N. And uh, my newest endeavor of in, my first ever plug on a podcast, uh, I just launched a clothing Line with a fourth wall Ooh. so you can go check out steve.clothing yes that's an actual url uh of all the cool things that are out there and i'm using all the proceeds to do exactly what john's doing where i'm also at the point where i'm chasing creative endeavors and want to do podcasting and do books of my own and i think uh people out there might might kind of identify with john's podcast here of just wanting to do create something that you don't see in the world that's what i'm trying to do with my you know clothing thing that's what john's doing here and um so i'm going to use my plug time to just compliment john i'm very proud of him <laughs> for for doing this i think it's it's cool those of you, you know, listening on patreon or wherever else he chooses to put these up like you know um these kind of endeavors i think are important and i hope that john can do his. I hope that you, the listener, go and do yours, because life is too short not to chase the things that you think are interesting in life.
0: Well, I am fidgeting in my chair out of awkwardness of not knowing what to do with myself while someone is being that nice. So... (laughs) got it on that note yep you got me i think we can end it there i appreciate everybody hanging out i appreciate everybody listening to this on any of the podcast platforms i appreciate the patreon listeners and tuning in i'm having so much fun i'm excited for the next episode and uh until then you guys enjoy yourselves be good be kind be brave thank you steve and i will see you guys all later bam